Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. 
Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz. With, with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Today we're going to talk about sleep and COVID. You know, the last podcast was about ivermectin and other factors that can maintain your health or help you overcome COVID should you get it. I'm going to replay an older podcast on sleep and COVID, but before I do that, I'm going to tell you what this is about. We have an interview with renowned neuroscientist, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. We're going to talk about how sleep helps us survive this virus, all viruses, in fact, how napping is beneficial for the brain, how light and darkness affect our sleeping patterns and emotions with the real science, which nutrients to take for brain health, the best foods to protect the brain how alcohol and marijuana harm the brain and affect sleep patterns. So before we do that, I'm going to add for you some new articles that were not yet discussed on the Michael Savage podcast. One of them is entitled Outdoor Daylight Exposure and Longer Sleep Promote Well-Being Under COVID-19 Mandated Restrictions. That's a fascinating article that ties right into our previous podcast. And it was done by a top flight group of scientists, Maria Corman in Israel, Edmund Safra, University of Haifa, Israel, Vladimir Chakev, Rehavot, Israel. And then there is a group of wonderful scientists from Portugal who I will not mention at this time. There are many of them. There are then scientists who are joining on this important subject from Tokyo, from Russia, from India and from uh, Germany. All of these authors contributed to this amazing article on how outdoor daylight exposure and longer sleep helps promote well-being under COVID-19 mandated restrictions. So in other words, in plain English, common sense would have told us that the morons in the public health departments, these small-brained individuals who locked us up in our houses and threw away the key were actually making things worse as common sense would have dictated. And so the study itself is very interesting. And I'll read from the study. Some of it is gobbledygook scientific lingo. Some of it is commonsensical. The summary of this article on outdoor daylight exposure and longer sleep states that light is an important regulator of daily human physiology by providing time of day information for the circadian clock to stay synchronized with the 24-hour day. And they say the coronavirus disease pandemic led to social restrictions in many countries they thought to prevent virus spreading. Restrictions that dramatically altered daily routines and limited outdoor daylight exposure. And what happened was they investigated changes in well-being and their link to outdoor daylight exposure and sleep-wake behavior. Then they talked about how social restrictions affected people's health. 
They said that, as you would guess, larger reductions in exposure to outdoor daylight were linked to deteriorations in well-being and delayed mid-sleep times. And notably, they said sleep duration was not associated with outdoor daylight exposure loss. Longer sleep and decreased alarm clock use dose-dependently correlated with changes in sleep quality and quality of life. What does it mean? It means that around the world, stupid governments imposed draconian restrictions on their citizens' freedom of movement because most people in public health are absolute dolts. They became fascistic little idiots who told you you had to stay at home, wear a mask, and talk to nobody. This was a gigantic global experiment that changed everything in the lives of billions of people around the planet. And the fact of the matter is, these changes were not beneficial. This behavior not only impaired all aspects of well-being, but also destroyed sleep quality, quality of life, physical activity, and productivity. It all deteriorated as a result of locking people up like lab rats. Isn't that commonsensical? Sure. It would be to everyone except the Dr. Fauci's of the world. These university putzes who never had so much power in their lives, power they've been waiting for all their lives. Now, I could read you the rest of the gobbledygook from this study, but the rest you can figure out. The subgroups and the groups and the depressive syndrome. I mean, as you would guess, people got depressed during the COVID-19 pandemic associated with being locked up in a house. They said, as you would know, a one-hour morning walk in the open air can improve mood in SAD. As you would guess, we see in the Bay Area of San Francisco morons driving around in their own cars to this day wearing masks with no one else present in the car. These morons are breathing in their own toxins, their own microbes, and their own carbon dioxide, and no one will tell them that they're committing suicide. So common sense would dictate that you don't listen to these schmucks day and night like they're God Almighty. All you got to know is that daylight is helpful. There are positive effects of daylight that go beyond the effects that come through the eye's retina. And that is daylight actually upregulates vitamin D production and bone health. Daylight has disinfectant properties against severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2. It has disinfectant properties. A new study found that sunlight exposure increased COVID-19 recovery rates. You hear that? Getting outdoors without a mask. Another study showed that high pulse dose of vitamin D significantly reduced inflammatory markers in patients with COVID-19 without side effects. So what's the summary? As you would guess, exposure to daylight is not only a factor of resilience during the pandemic, but also a probable remediating factor. And so this is something common sense would have you understand. And you should spend more daytime outdoors in the sunlight you will not only get better faster, you'll probably resist the disease better and you'll sleep better. Don't try to tell that to the petty bureaucrats with MPH degrees. They never knew anything anyway. This is Michael Savage. I'll be back with more recent studies on sleep and COVID right here on the Savage Nation podcast. Michael Savage, a host like no other. 
Welcome back to the Michael Savage podcast. We're continuing my, you know, investigations into the newer research on the health consequences of sleep disruption, not only on COVID, but on other diseases. And there's a great article by Micheline Will and Mikhail Hemels that can be found in the ncbi.nim.nih.gov. Their abstract is this. Many people know that sleep plays a vital role in brain function and physiology across many body systems. That's common sense. Your mother told you that. Problems with sleep are widely prevalent. We all know that. And include deficits in quantity and quality of sleep. And the sleep disruptions are associated with increased activity of the sympathetic nervous system and the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, metabolic effects, changes in circadian rhythms, and pro-inflammatory responses. So what are the long-term consequences of sleep disruption in otherwise healthy people? They're terrible. Hypertension, screw up in your lipid levels, cardiovascular disease, weight-related issues, metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, mellitus, and colorectal cancer. So what can we do about that? Well, you know, there's melatonin. I wouldn't recommend sleeping pills. I would say, you know, take a walk in the sunlight once a day. Don't watch television before falling asleep. Try to take another walk before going to sleep, even if you have an exercise cycle in the house. Walk around the house. Do 10 push-ups. So sleep disruption becomes a big story. It's widespread. And even in 2014, it was reported that 35% of American adults rated their sleep quality as poor or only fair. Well, people are worried, and they don't move around enough. They're not tired. And you can look at all of it. What's causing the sleep disruption? Everything you can imagine. Caffeine, drinking alcohol, too close to bedtime. As I have told you before, try to have your last drink four hours before you go to sleep. Because otherwise you're going to wake up four hours after you fall asleep. As well as exercise. Try to exercise more. Try not to watch television before going to sleep. Okay? Underexposure to daytime sunlight can lead to disruption of circadian rhythms. Try to get out in the sunlight. Sunlight. These are some commonsensical things that your mother probably taught you. You don't need a podcast to tell you that. Here's another recent study by a group of Chinese scientists. Poor sleep behavior burden and risk of COVID-19 mortality and hospitalization. And there's nothing in here that we don't know, which is that poor sleep behavior burden with mortality and need for hospitalization after a positive COVID-19 result. And what do they conclude? Just what you'd expect. If you test positive for COVID, you tend to sleep worse. You're scared and you're worried. So what do you do about it? Try to sleep better. Get out in the sunlight. And absolutely don't stimulate yourself with too much caffeine or go out into the sun. Excuse me. Don't stimulate yourself with television, violent movies, horror movies. I know this sounds stupid, but sometimes you have to repeat what's obvious in order to get people to remember what they already know. So these are but some of the new studies that have come out on COVID and sleep that I thought I would share with you today on the Savage Nation podcast. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Today's topic is sleep and COVID. Just the facts. Is there a relationship between sleep and COVID? How is COVID affecting people's sleep? 
does COVID affect the brain in other ways? And all you ever wanted to know about sleep and sleep problems, because they are at an all-time high owing to the anxiety related to COVID. A lack of sleep can lead to further stress and anxiety during our waking hours. Sleep Awareness Week highlights the importance of sleep on our brains, bodies, and mental wellness. So today we have a leading neuroscientist, a real scientist, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, W-I-L-L-E-U-M-I-E-R, a real PhD, University of California at LA, UCLA, and she's the author of Biohack Your Brain, How to Boost Cognitive Health, Performance, and Power. She is an expert on sleep and how it affects your brain. She has a wonderful background. We're going to talk with her today. We're going to find out how sleep and the lack of sleep affects other functions of the body, how it contributes to mental acuity, the correct amount of sleep a person may need, what supplements, if any, we should take, and what we should avoid doing to avoid not falling asleep. Let's begin. I need to see where her PhD is from or we're not going to do this. <laughs> so many fakers out there with fake degrees and you are the real McCoy. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So sleep and COVID, the facts. In other words, this is going to go way beyond COVID. And I have to share with you because of the great sort of cosmic ironies that happen Um Last night, my husband and I, we were in Palm Springs. Uh, he got diagnosed with a blood clot last week, and he felt that he was another one was coming on. So we rushed back to L.A., got him to the emergency room. And uh, needless to say, I had to stay up with him all night. He didn't want me to go to sleep because he was afraid you could potentially have a stroke. And oh, as right. I was thinking about it last night, I was like, wow, this is this is perfect, isn't it? Like, I'm going to be up all night. Here I am talking about sleep and, and insomnia and sleep issues. But, you know, it just goes to show how prevalent sleep issues are and how common it is. And, you know, a thing that I always like to touch on, you know, for your audience is having a background in neuroimaging. People don't realize what sleep does to the brain and how essential it is. For wait, wait, but sleep. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I look, I trained in epidemiology and human nutrition, but yeah. I'm also back. My background's in, in medical botany. So that's mm -hmm. a long time ago. But I remember last year I interviewed a New York Times reporter who's not a doctor, but he's very smart on the immune system. And he found that the most important contributor to healthy immunity is good sleep, yes. which I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. And so that's why when I saw the article about you in the in the papers, I said, well, let's see. Wow, look at the background. Yeah, who is she, this girl? <laughs> well, this, this girl. Where did she come from? <laughs> where did, let's go backwards for a minute because I'm sure. so interested in your background. Of course. Where did you grow up and where did you go to high school? <laughs> I, so, I, I grew up in Chicago and went to high school in Barrington. So it's a northwest suburb of the city. So 45 minutes northwest of Chicago. Um, so born and raised in Chicago, grew up showing horses, thought I was going to be an Olympic athlete. Huh. Um, my trainer son is actually on the U.S. Olympic team. So that, that's actually not a pipe dream. I trained with real Olympians. Um, I'm sure it's what gave me the well, fortitude. Are you, are, you, are you an equestrian by training? Yes, I, I am. I, we've had horses in the family for 40 years. I was a hunter jumper. So 
uh, sort of a maverick show jumper. I was that amazing. I so was how, like this, this seven, eight year old. Doc, Doc okay. how do you go from being an equestrian horse trainer jumper? I mean, you know how things happen in life. How did you yeah. become interested in sleep and sleep disorders? Well, it's almost like, how did I become a neuroscientist? <laughs> because that was not my intended, you know, course of action. But, you know, my educational trajectory went from, you know, went to school in Boston. I went to Boston College, studied psychology. But because I had been in the athlete space, I really wanted to understand sports psychology and how the mind worked. Um, but then I found that I wanted to take a deeper dive. I just, uh, the way my mind is wired, I wanted to really understand the neurobiology of the brain. And that's why I went to graduate school at UCLA and I studied physiological science. So I started doing the master's degree studying, you know, all the organ systems and then mm -hmm. was really attracted to the brain. And I thought, I want to study something that we think is incurable. So at that time, my work was in the field of Parkinson's. And what is so ironic about that, which I will share with you, is my father ended up getting Parkinson's oh, about a decade later. So, yeah, I studied a gene that becomes mutated in the young onset form of Parkinson's disease called well, Parkinson's. My, my mother, rest of soul, also suffered Parkinson's toward the last <gasps> number of years. So it's oh, not that no. I'm very familiar with that. And, and it was a brief phase of my life that I was involved in Alzheimer's research very briefly for a oh, year wow. or two. Uh huh. I'm talking 35 years ago, and I was interested in supplements, nutrition. Yes. Yep. Using using those that scavenge free radicals, which of course is very popular right now, and I was considered a quack and a nut job for being even looking at the effects of uh, neurotoxins such, such as aluminum yes. on on the brain. And I think today it's sort of accepted. Is that true? Because I haven't kept up with the research, honestly. It is accepted. Yeah. It, it, and I, you know, one of my roles, so I worked at the Amen Clinics as their director of research, but I was also their director of nutrition and nutraceuticals. The goal there um, being able to show that nutraceuticals make a measurable change mm -hmm. in brain function. So Let, let's tell the audience what you mean by nutraceuticals. I know what they are. They may not be familiar with the term. Yeah. Nutraceuticals are just supplements that can be used to change brain function. You think nootropics, right? Anything that you can take. It's not a medication. Um, it's usually from a natural substance and can improve blood flow or alter neurotransmitter levels. Um, the great thing about nutraceuticals is that they are inexpensive and usually have relatively mild to no side effects. Um, We're speaking with Dr. Kristen Willemeyer is an expert in this field of sleep, sleep disorders. And we're going to dig, dig a little deeper in this. Mainly today where people are anxious over everything political, everything with COVID, and, and rightly so. I mean, people are living isolated lives, all the outlets that we once had, where many of them are completely obliterated in our lives, and they don't know which way to turn, and they're not sleeping very well. And we all know that sleep is critical to immunity and, of course, to, to a sense of well-being. And since I'm calling today's podcast Sleep and COVID, let's begin, doctor, please, with how how is COVID affecting people's sleep patterns? Oh, well, that's a very good question. I think what we really want to look at is COVID is impacting people's mental health. 
And with the rise in anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress that we're seeing through COVID, that's having negative implications on people's sleep patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, Before COVID, we had 70 million Americans struggling with sleep issues. Now that we're in the pandemic, that's got to be well over 100 million people. So we've got a lot of people really um, trying to understand how to bring their stress levels down and manage their mental health issues so that they're able to get a restful, restorative sleep. Amazing. Well, of course, so people get anxious, which triggers adrenaline-like responses to keep it simple. Correct. Then they can't sleep because they're basically, you know, turned on, so to speak. The the brain is turned on. The brain is turned on. You know, the one thing, so coming from my background as a neuroscientist, the one thing that I like to share with people is that sleep performs three, well, performs many important housekeeping functions in the brain. But, you know, one, it helps to clear uh, toxins and abnormally folded proteins that can lead to Alzheimer's disease. While we're sleeping, the brain is cleansing itself. That is correct. We have something called the the lymphatic system, which is like a brainwash. So Mm -hmm. while we are in those deeper stages of sleep, Mm -hmm. our brain is able to clear all of these toxins that build up during the day. That's why if we're not sleeping over time, people with insomnia um, can actually have increases in the level of these abnormally folded proteins that can lead to Alzheimer's. So astounding. You we know, want to get sleep you know, for our cognitive health. I've been a napper all my life. And I mean, almost back to my 20s, I would always find I had to turn everything off during the day. And I wasn't ashamed of it because I always used the Mediterranean model. I had gone to Europe when I was young and I said, what a great idea. They shut the whole of the country down. Yes. For, for the CS. Yes. I said, what a great, great <laughs> What a great attitude they have. So they would take these long, elaborate lunches, go to sleep, wake up and start their day again at, what, four o'clock and eat dinner right, at eight. Right. right? And, and so they were much, they seemed happier to me, this whole idea. But we don't do that in America, do we? We don't. And I am right there with you when I go to Spain. I love how they have their afternoon, you know, siestas. And you know, going to graduate school, even when I was in undergrad, I would take naps. I'd actually go to the library with all of my books and I would fall asleep for like two hours and then I could power study for another five. So there really is something to taking a nap. I mean, you know what we say in the clinical setting, you know, you really shouldn't be napping after 3 p.m. You know, if you want to get a good night's sleep. But I think we also have to listen to the signals that our body is giving us. And if we need to go down for a nap, we should listen. I agree with you. You know, so again, during the, the period I was still doing it. I'd say, what's wrong with me? Why do I need to sleep in the late in the afternoons? What's wrong with my brain that I literally become foggy, tired, shut down? Need to, but I go in a room and I have blackout shades in all the houses or wherever I am. I shut the light out because I know about. Tell me about this. You probably know more about it than I do. I remember about three decades ago, I read that in Japan, in uh, factories, they would have the workers stop production on a regular basis, close their eyes, put their hands over their eyes to stop light from coming in 
Has there been any recent study on this uh, light issue and the brain? Well, light is essential to all of our cognitive functions. So we are on this 24-hour day-night cycle. So in the evenings, we have this increased production of melatonin, which helps to trigger sleep. And then we have all of these restorative processes that happen at night. As I was saying, the clearing of abnormally folded proteins, we consolidate memories that we learn throughout the day. So everything that's in our short-term memory gets put into our long-term memory. And we uh, regulate our emotions. So when we go into those deeper stages of sleep, um, that's what helps us to be more emotionally balanced through the day. Now, I'm not quite sure what their goal was in doing this in Japan, but I'm sure they had a good reason. And maybe it was just to quiet the mind. So well, that, that's, have- I was, that's what I was thinking. And also, we, what, the last I read, the brain consumes 20% of the blood glu- glucose. Yes. Not, is that still approximately true? That is true. The brain weighs 2%, 2% of the body's weight consumes 20% of the body's oxygen. Oh, so well, let, let's say that again to the audience. I remember the number. 20% of our blood glucose goes to keeping the, the computer going between our ears, right? That is absolutely correct, which is why it's so important to get the sleep to be able to do all of the great housekeeping things that need to happen so the brain can function optimally. All right. I'm talking with Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, a renowned neuroscientist with uh, extensive research expertise in brain function, brain injury, and brain disorders, especially sleep disorders. We're going to pause for just a moment here on the Michael Savage Podcast. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. We're back and we're talking with Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, PhD and renowned neuroscientist, about the importance of sleep in relation to COVID and many, many other uh, relationships with illness and health. Let's listen. Again, we're speaking with uh, an expert in the subject, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer on sleep and not only COVID, but sleep and health in general and uh, how sleep affects the brain. Next, we'll talk about how the brain is affected by nutritional supplements, such as uh, simple things that you probably take already, like fish oils. And- yes. We'll get into Alzheimer's disease a little bit more. I know your time is limited, but there, there's an area that I'm fascinated by. I have a friend who suffers not from, I had a, a professor who suffered from Pickwickian syndrome where he would fall asleep in the middle of a lecture. He was a brilliant, he was a genius. And he made some major discoveries, but while he was lecturing us, he would fall asleep in the classroom and then wake up 10 minutes later and continue to lecture. What is that illness? That is fascinating. It sounds like a form of narc. Well, it's not narcolepsy if he's um, actually alert and attentive, but I, I've actually never seen that. So that's fascinating. To no, he was too. It's a crazy guy. I won't mention his name. He's long deceased, but he was a brilliant botanist and he had insights into things. I'll just do a sidetrack. So his mind worked differently than everyone else's. And again, he would fall asleep while lecturing and just stop talking. And then eyes would close. He'd stand there. 
then wake up and continue where he left off. They called it, he told us it was Pickwickian syndrome, which is a relative of narcolepsy, I believe. I'm not sure. I don't know the brain that well. Yeah, because usually narcolepsy is when you will, you know, have bouts of falling asleep during the day, although you've gotten a full night's sleep. But it has that feeling of, you know, Albert Einstein, right? You know, falling asleep and waking up and getting the theory of relativity, you know, downloading some sort of information. Uh. Yeah, right. well, it's, it's like Edison never slept. They said he napped. Is that true? I, I don't know. I, I, is it? Uh, I read that Edison never went to sleep for the night. He would nap periodically as he needed it and stay awake all the time. I mean, that was a different story, a different time. It Who knows how true that, that is? That is a different era. Now we're trying to live to, you know, over 100 years old. So at this point, you know, we're looking at sleep as one of the critical ways that people can actually preserve brain function and, and slow down brain aging. That's why I tell people in the clinical setting, if there's one thing that you do to take care of your brain health, get your sleep, you know, hygiene in order, right? I think everybody can do things to help improve their sleep hygiene. Well, again, getting back to sleep in the immune system, considered to be the number one factor in a healthy immune system is good sleep. So many people in America don't sleep a full night. And they take various pills to sleep, which you probably will tell us are not a good idea. And I don't mean supplements. I'm talking about medicines to make you sleep, meaning sleeping right. pills. Benzodiazepines, antihistamines. Would those, would those sleeping medications actually create free radical activity in the brain? Well, the problem with those medications, they're really for short term use for people who just aren't able to get to sleep, but they have... Um, they have strong impacts on people's cognitive function. And typically when people take them the next morning, they tend to be foggy um, because it interferes with the sleep cycles during the night. So um, I'm not sure about the free radical component, but we do know that those are short-term strategies, not long-term solutions. So you're, I'm looking at some of your publications, doctor, mm -hmm. and with Dr. Amen in the clinic that you work in, the Amen Clinics. And you have a great paper on the effects of brain-directed nutrients on cerebral blood flow and neuro neuropsychological testing. Um, a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled crossover trial. It's the real McCoy. It's a real study, a real trial. And I noticed some some uh, herbals in there that are interesting to me. You, you mentioned an alkaloidal extract from Chinese club moss, which is a selective inhibitor of acetylcholinesterase. Yes, Huperzine A. Yeah, okay, so... By inhibiting the enzyme acetylcholine ester, you're inhibiting the breakdown of acetylcholine or you're Correct. increasing? What you're, increasing? So, you're, you, so you increase acetylcholine. So by taking the huperzine A, it actually increases acetylcholine levels so we're able to improve cognitive function. Got it. Okay. So you want more acetylcholine circulating rather than less. Correct. Acetylcholine being the bridge between the nerve gaps, basically, right? The transmitter. Yes, the neurotransmitter that is released in the synaptic cleft. And when you have proper levels of acetylcholine, it will help keep your memory sharp. Yeah, I'm glad I remember some of this stuff. You are doing great. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. I, I hope I get an A. I in there. A you get an A+. Well, I'm testing my memory. You see, I want to see if my memory still works. I working. know you're doing great. I haven't, I haven't read this literature in, in so many decades, but it's so fascinating to me. In fact, if I were to start all over again, I would actually go into neuro, neuro, neuro something to do with neurology or 
the brain function. It's, That's what it's I'm so an amazing upset. field. I will tell you, I've been in this field for 20 years and it's so fascinating. And there's always just so many new things to learn. And I think one of the great things about being in my field is I learned so much about the brain that I have these extraordinary brain health habits. And, you know, then I turn into the cheerleader trying to get everybody else to do them as well. You know, you were you mentioned about the brain, um, you know, utilizing 20 percent of the body's oxygen and blood glucose. And it's a highly metabolic organ and we need to protect it with antioxidants, as you've mentioned before. So eating fruits and vegetables and green juicing and green teas and having lots of foods that have, you know, high in polyphenols and antioxidants so that you can protect the brain and slow down cognitive aging. And I'm just, I'm so amazed at the science that's out there showing that you can eat a cup of blueberries, you know, three times a week. And if you do that consistently over the course of years, you can slow down cognitive aging by two and a half years. I've been eating blueberries every day for the last 40 years. Oh, maybe, this is that, maybe that's our, that's possibly why I still remember some of this stuff. It's I don't know. True. Yes. That's why, you know, I know you are, um, you were saying you're into the plant. Uh, what's your background in botany and plant? My master's degree was in ethnobotany, and my master's thesis was published as a book by Harvard University. It's a long story. Then I, then I got a master's degree in medical anthropology, and then I earned my PhD from UC Berkeley in a hybrid field of epidemiology, human nutrition, and one other field. So, This I, is why you would appreciate this, the epidemiological studies on I you do. Know, fr you know, fruits, strawberries, and blueberries can reduce your... Uh, risk of heart attacks by a third if you take them again consistently over the course of years. Now, you in your in in this study I cited yes. that you co-authored, you mention ginkgo biloba. Yes. It, does it actually enhance blood flow according to studies? The ginkgo does ginkgo work? It it does. So this is the beautiful thing in our clinic. We use something called brain spect imaging, which measures blood flow and activity patterns in the brain. So we were able to see when we put healthy individuals on that suite of nutrients that you're talking about: brain-directed multivitamin, omega-3 fatty acids, things to boost blood flow to the brain, like ginkgo biloba, uh, vimposatine is also a vasodilator, so that's in the formula, um, huperzine A, which boosts cognition. So we were able to show within a three-month period of time, using brain imaging, that we saw increased blood flow to the brain. The beautiful thing about that is those results are um, not only measurable, but they're maintained over time. So if we scanned that individual a year later, you'll be mm. able to preserve those benefits. But one thing people need to know is you have to take the nutraceuticals consistently. You need to be on them for at least three months. So there's caveats when you're taking nutraceuticals. What are the caveats? Well, it's just, you know, if you want them to work, there are specific dosages that you take. You have to take them consistently over time to see the results. So that's the one thing that I loved about doing work in the clinic in neuroimaging. We were able to show people, here's your baseline scan. We're going to put you on a suite of nutraceuticals and follow up, do a follow-up scan three months later, six months later, a year later. So I think that's why 
people get excited about staying on the nutraceutical supplements when they see they have a visual marker of their efficacy. So basically, for the average person listening or the ordinary not average person <laughs> to, this, to this discussion yes. between two uh, uh, science-trained people, the things they can do to help them sleep outside of drugs would be what? In other words, we talked about ginkgo. We talked about... Uh, oh, for sleep. So great supplements that are sleep aids. I love magnesium. Um, uh-huh. So just uh, you could take a magnesium powder 30 minutes before bed. Magnesium helps to calm the nerves mm-hmm. down. Um, I love GABA or PharmaGABA. So GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain. And GABA helps to quiet the nerves down. So you could do... GABA, um, you could do passion flower or lemon balm. And I, I've, got to, I've got to interject. It's funny. You're the only doctor I ever met who even knows what passion flower is. <laughs> Back many years ago, when I was going through a very difficult phase of my life, I couldn't sleep. I had terrible insomnia. And I went and saw a crazy pharmacist in San Francisco who's long gone. He was in his 80s at the time, a real honorary old man. And and. <laughs> You go into this little store down on Ellis Street. It was full of herbs. Yeah. He was paranoid about the FDA closing them down because it was, you know, he was afraid of them because they were closing down pharmacies that sold herbs. So I went and I told him my problem. So he looked at me, he said, are you with the government? He was one of those old times. I said, no, I'm not with the government. He said, what are you bothering me for? Oh, my gosh. So he he said, let me lock the door. It was like a little movie. So (laughs) he locks the pharmacy door. The bell jingles. It's out of a Dickens story. And he says to me, what's your problem? I said, I can't sleep well. He says, what are you bothering me? Go across the street to Joe's bar and have two scotches. Why are you wasting my time? So I said to him, look, come on, cut it out. What do you have here that I can use? So he pulls out this herb and he gives me a bag of this passion flower. He said, just make a tea out of it and leave me alone. Goodbye. Never, never call me again. Yes. Yes. Well, it worked. It, 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 it worked. Then, it worked. And I lived on that stuff for a long time. And then I researched it in great detail. I found that it was used in Italy in the 70s. It was being used as a chi- um, a tranquilizer for children. It was so safe. Yes. That's why I love so, plant-based medicine. It's very natural for the body, and it works. So you've yeah. got these, you know, chamomiles and lavenders and passionflower extract and um, valerian root can work. So there's a lot of things that we have at our disposal that can just help to calm the nervous system down. Now, if you don't want to do that, you can always go get acupuncture. And I will, I will tell you between you and I, when I was in graduate school um, and I was working really hard late nights, uh, I would go schedule an eight o'clock acupuncture session at a little school that was down the street. Um, Did it work late. for you? I've tried it here in San Francisco a number of times in Chinatown and that, I mean, I never had an effect. So I usually would direct them. I would literally go into the clinic and say, can you please put points in my head? Because I knew I was so in my head. I'm like, you really need to do more points up in the head area. And it got to the point where I would walk in the clinic and my body would immediately calm down. It was really fascinating. It was this. Wait, wait. You mean you would would calm down just walking in and. Correct. Okay, so it wasn't the needles, it was the thought that you were going to be calmed down. It it was a combination of both. So I would go in, I'd do the evening acupuncture sessions, because there's a lot of 
great ways to calm the brain down. You know, you've got the nutraceuticals, you've got um, acupuncture, you know, that's for people who are just so spun up that they need something, you know, to help them calm their nervous system down. Um, and we've got things like neurofeedback, which is like a biofeedback for the brain where we can do an EEG and look at your brainwave. Why, why, why alcohol has a, a, um, the, the worst effect? In other words, it will calm you down and put you to sleep. But often people who drink to go to sleep will awaken suddenly when the blood sugar drops. Right. Three, four hours later, middle of the night, bang, they sit up in bed and they're full of insomnia. insomnia. They're wired. They're wired because it's a central nervous system depressant, but it also... Um, can stimulate you. It's got that euphoric effect. I mean, alcohol can, you know, give a range of emotions, right? You're happy, you're sad, you're euphoric. Um, but for sleep, you know, we always tell people you want to refrain from having alcohol five hours before you go to bed. Wow. So to give the body let, let, let's, let's stop for a minute. That's important. You're yeah, a sleep yeah. expert, doctor, and you say yeah. don't drink five hours before you go to sleep. I'm so sorry. That's Oscar. <laughs> you know, like Oscar, needed, Oscar needs a tranquilizer. Give him some. Oscar pack. definitely needs a tranquilizer. Uh, <laughs> so, doctor, you're saying yeah, don't yeah. drink five hours before you're going to sleep? Correct. If you don't want it to interfere with your sleep cycles, huh. uh, you definitely want to have the cocktails earlier in wow. the afternoon. Now, I know that's probably not oh, what most people want to do. Wait, wait, wait. Now, wait a minute. I got. I can have them in the afternoon now. Wow, you're, you're going to be drinking up. Okay, so here's here's what we say in the brain imaging world, right? If you're healthy, you don't have any psychiatric issues, one to two glasses of whatever you want a week is perfectly fine. A week? Oh, come on A week. <laughs> you know, hey, I've seen I, I'm sorry, you know, you and I can talk forever, and I know you're busy, but listen, I remember years ago, I used to joke on the radio, that the American Medical Association said <laughs> that two ounces of alcohol per day is okay, two ounces. But I said the British Medical Association said that five absolute ounces of alcohol a day was fine. And I said, I'll take the British view. Right. I mean, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I think that the challenging thing with alcohol is for some people, you know, if there's addiction that's in their family, it's like opening Pandora's box. Absolutely. Once you give the once you give the green light and I'll tell you between you and I and your audience, um, my mother's sister, my aunt passed away from cirrhosis of the liver in her fifties. Oh, um, but now let me tell you, you're going to appreciate this. She was uh, a physical therapist. So she had a PT degree. She owned her own business. She then went and got her PhD from Penn. She was faculty <laughs> at university. So this was one very brilliant woman um, and she started drinking. We did not know the family was completely unaware. And then in her fifties, she ends up getting cirrhosis of the liver and, and dies. I oh. mean, it, the, the, the death was just so fast and sudden. What so, a loss to humanity, huh? It, it's a loss to humanity. And I think the thing that people don't think about is there's a segment of the population where if you give the green light for drinking every single day, um, it really, again, opens that Pandora's box. I, and they I can't agree a stop. thousand percent. And I'm not a proponent of drinking at all. And I just to put myself on the record. I dr rarely drink more than one to two glasses of wine at night uh, at all and any these days because I found it was devastating on my sleep. Incidentally, they're, 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 this is the sign of intelligent life. 
you've, you've figured it out. It's so called you, trial and error. How many nights are you going to wake up at <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning and say, damn it, I'm never going to drink again? Well, you know what's funny? So the alcohol also puts weight on your body. So I used to run brain-directed weight loss groups in our clinic. I've helped thousands of people lose weight. And, um, and I did it through teaching them how to get brain healthy. And for people who love their one to two glasses of wine at night, I would say, let's have you try the GABA, the GABA supplement I was talking about, because it has that sort of sedative effect. It lasts for four to six hours. And I was able to transition people off of the wine that they were used to drinking. Oscar, you tell Oscar to go drink his passion. Oscar, Oscar, yeah, could you? (laughs) That's why we call him our chief security officer. So he is working hard right now. Let's pause right here. Our guest is Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, a renowned neuroscientist. And we're talking about the importance of sleep and the science around sleep. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Let's get back to more of my interview with renowned neuroscientist Dr. Kristen Willemeyer about sleep and COVID, among many other things, right here on the Savage Nation podcast. We could talk forever. Maybe we'll do this again, doctor. I would love that. Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, we're going to ask you about marijuana because I have very strong Uh, feelings and knowledge about marijuana, particularly the THC component that I oppose completely, especially on developing brains. It's a devastation that is not. I am with you on that. You you and I are in alignment. You know, we um, have done a research study just looking at the effect of marijuana on the brain and it it calms it down, but it also decreases blood flow throughout the brain. And you want a healthy brain, you want healthy perfusion. And I know why kids do it. I understand. I have such compassion, actually, for why people gravitate towards drugs and alcohol. They're usually just doing it to modulate their brain function. Absolutely. It's self-medication. I had, you know, I grew up in New York. I Everyone was using oh. marijuana. I used marijuana. But yeah. some, some of the people graduated to, to things like heroin and wound up. It's a gateway. It's a gateway drug. I always hated needles. I hated drugs. I never went down that road. But marijuana for me was a disaster because I feel my brain. I used to look back when they would start, you know, saying, why did you stop smoking? And I would say, look, if you have a one string guitar, maybe it'll help that string resonate better. But if you have a Stradivarius uh, like I do, I I don't want all my strings resonating in different in different directions. And marijuana so disturbed my brain patterns that, yeah, you'd get so crazy and paranoid. Everyone who I have found that people who are super intelligent don't do very well with marijuana, incidentally. They don't. And it's the thing about drugs and recreational drugs. I mean, I understand why people take them. And there's always that um, certain people who once they start even trying it once, then they can't stop. And that's really scary for a lot of people. Um, and I'm in the field where we help people have healthy brains. And because brain volume uh, decreases 5% every decade after the age of 40, you know, in my mind, anything. Wait, wait, that's- wait, wait let's stop. What decreases? <laughs> Your brain volume decreases. The size of the brain diminishes? Correct. It's just this, it's what happens when we age. You mean the <laughs> we, brain shrinks as we get older? <laughs> the brain shrinks as oh, we get older. Oh, how depressing. We lose about 85,000. My, my father used to say you have a big head. So look what's happened to me now. 
<laughs> well, you know what, though? You eat blueberries every day. You know, I'd, I love, to hear, I'd love to hear what you're doing. I take so many other supplements you, you, you wouldn't know. Now, before we go. First, I would love that. I, one time, you're going to have to tell me your whole supplement regimen. I have oh, people come in the clinic with two grocery bags full of supplements. So it's, Well, you see, the problem is some of them counteract others. And they, they take of the same things. They take the wrong ones. They take inactive stuff that doesn't work. So before right. you go, I want you to I want the people to hear what you You've published in terms of a book they can buy, what supplements you sell, whatever you want to tell them about. Go ahead. Have free reign on my audience. Oh, bless your heart. So I have a new book that just came out December 29th called Biohack Your Brain, How to Boost Health Performance and Power. It's published by HarperCollins and it's sold at Amazon bookstores, uh, Barnes & Noble. Biohack Your Brain by Dr. Kristen Willemeyer. Biohack Your Brain, and, and it's a very important book, and they can buy it on Amazon, right? They can buy it on Amazon. Yes. Okay, that's great. Michael Savage, a host like no other. And what about supplements? You work in a clinic. In addition to being a neuroscientist and a, and a, and a, and a scientist, don't you work in a clinic? I I did so I'm not working there currently and and ah. with sup and with supplements you know supplements are uh, because I used to run uh, I was the director of nutrition and nutraceuticals I would tailor supplement protocols to people ah. depending on what their ah. background is so I'm like you like what you had just mentioned you know some people are taking too many they don't know what works so I'm about having a thoughtful program when it comes to taking nutraceuticals and in biohack your brain i have a whole chapter on supplements and the supplements that i think what i call brain basics things that everybody should take like a, a multivitamin and omega-3 fatty acid and vitamin d i mean there's just some basics yes, across the board that are that are helpful to people and because i do things um by getting having people do baseline lab work we tailor them truly based on how your body is functioning. So basically when we get older, the brain shrinks and blood flow diminishes and that affects, uh, affects the brain basically. But this is why we have to get ahead of it. Right. And you can do things like taking the right kind of nutraceuticals, eating the right kind of diet. So following the Mediterranean diet rigorously can slow brain aging by as much as seven and a half years. Um, so there's a lot of things that people can do. And, it, you know, in Biohack Your Brain, I go into um, some of the research that we've done in the clinical setting. And, you know, really what started it all was our work in professional athletes. So back in 2009, we did one of the largest brain imaging studies in living professional football players looking at what happens to the brain um, oh. when you play you know, football. And this was oh my God. It's, a good, it's a good thing I was a terrible athlete. I can tell you. <laughs> okay, you, can, you didn't play sports? I would have made it to this age if I was good at football. I would have, been, I would have had my brain smashed in. Doctor, yeah. uh, you have been very kind. Dr. Kristen Willemeyer yes. is a genius in this field of sleep. We have talked about the importance of sleep for brain function, strategies to improve sleep, uh, best supplements for better sleep. We've talked about so many other things today. And of course, don't forget her book. That's very important. Biohack Your Brain, How to Boost Cognitive Health, Performance and Power. It's available on Amazon. And doctor, again, 
please make sure that Oscar gets the proper supplementation. <laughs> I will be sure to do so. <laughs> he and enjoyed he enjoyed with, being on the show. Your husband. How is your husband, by the way? I don't mean to make this too personal. You began with your husband having an issue at the beginning of this. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm hoping, you know, he's going to be doing okay. We will find out later today. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for taking time to be with us on the Michael Savage podcast. I hope to have you back in the very near future. I would love that. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure. So you never have to be without the Savage Nation. Thank you very much for listening.